0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Project MedTech. I'm your host, Dwayne Mancini. As always, if you have any suggestions for guests you'd like to see on the podcast or just want to reach out, please email the podcast at projectmedtechpodcast at gmail.com. My guest today is Joe Mullings. Joe is the CEO of the Mullings Group and is the chief vision officer of MRI Network. I had Joe on the podcast today to talk about everything med tech. And if you haven't followed Joe on LinkedIn yet, I would highly suggest you do so, as he shares very good content for the health tech slash med tech industry. Joe has been recruiting in this industry for over 30 years now, so he has a great perspective on what makes med device companies successful and what makes for successful CEOs. And he also just has an overall great perspective on the industry. So without further ado, my discussion with Joe Mullings.
1: Joe, oh, thanks for uh, joining me on the podcast today. My pleasure. It's uh, It's been uh, a couple, of, what was it, two years since uh, we were together in Dublin, Ireland at the yep. uh, MedTech Strategist Show.
0: Yeah, two years. Uh, I was looking forward to going back, but uh, unfortunately, other plans in
1: life, right? It's a virtual show this year.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so,
0: Joe, let's uh, talk a little bit about... Uh, the Mullings Group, and, and I believe you're part of MRI Network now. Is that right?
1: Uh, MRI brought me on as the chief vision officer of uh, okay. their organization. Uh, I used to I actually started my career as a headhunter in 89 Okay. Uh, with Management Recruiters International. Great organization. I ended up outgrowing them sometime in the early 2000s, went on my way, and a dear friend of mine, Bert Miller, bought them out from uh, CDI Corporation, private equity, and asked me if I'd come on board and help with the digital transition of taking talent acquisition, talent access from the dark ages to the 21st century.
0: Okay. Now is that, so is that transitioning to the Mullings group that you, I mean, that's who you were with when I, when
1: I saw you speak. I'm still that, the Mullings group. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You're so still Bert, there. Yeah. Bert yep. brought me on uh, to help okay. uh, architect that organization.
0: Okay, very cool. So have you guys are you guys only focused on medic med tech and and health tech? Or is it just one or
1: Yeah, I love that you use the word health tech. I mean, because it is health tech. Now it's not med tech anymore. It's health tech, right? The entire continuum. Yeah, only health tech. Uh, Our firm has made more than 7000 successful placements in our three decades, Um, probably seven times more our nearest competitor. So I feel pretty competent in that area.
0: Yeah, great. So let's dive into it. Because uh, this is a question we get. I get from startup companies, um, you know, a couple people who just invented something and, and there, there, there always comes that time of when they might need to switch over to going and finding a, a, a CEO, right? And taking that step back. Uh, that could be tough to do. So let's start there. Um, what makes a, a, a good med tech CEO in, in, in your
1: eyes? Oh, gosh. Um, so, you know, that, that the, the, the question comes out, it depends, right? Is this a mm-hmm. classic medical device? Is it a catheter? Is it a uh, minimally invasive? Is it robotics? Is it a heavy data play, you know? But if we just talk about best athlete characteristics, it's probably somebody who is coming out of an engineering or a product road mapping early in the birth of a um, product. So I probably would put sales and commercial people have great skills, but generally not necessarily critical thinkers in early stage med tech. Because in early stage med tech, you need to have an understanding of reg, clin, qual, and reimbursement. Because if you can't get it through the FDA and you can't get it paid for, nothing ever matters. And that's where the investors are coming in. So that generally indexes towards the road mapping early stage people and or the engineering types in, in a startup.
0: Okay. Good. Now, um, so you're you're also around successful med tech companies, right? So uh, I assume you're not just recruiting CEOs for these companies, right? Nope. You're you're recruiting all positions, right? So so talk a little bit about the importance of building that team because I think You know, so, so as I've been in the CRO business pretty much my entire career in the, in the med device space. Um, And, and a lot of times my, my pitch to these, these companies is, Hey, keep your head count, hit your head count down and lean. So that way you're, you're, you're bringing on people who you can turn off and on. Um, They're not, you know they're just not full-time employees. It's it's convenient. Um, what's the, you know, how do you make that decision of, hey, this is a position I need to bring on and they need to be a full-time person. I need to give them a salary, probably equity of the company because um, I want them to be a part of this journey. So maybe talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. So no, our firm probably, we, we do about 30 CEO searches a year and everything after that is, you know, back down and about 75 to 80% of our book are emerging tech companies. So I feel super qualified to answer this question. Um, Look, you keep your core competencies in house, you know, if you have a device that's got a heavy clinical lift, if it's that really disruptive, uh, you know, you've got a device that's a digital data play and more of a passive monitoring. Uh, I agree with you 100%. One of the things that's really important today is to preserve cash. And then you look at your three uh, different pillars. You look at your clinical pillar, you look at your regulatory pillar, right? And then you look at your product development pillar. A lot of times you need a heavy clinical pillar hold or a heavy regulatory, but you don't need to go out and spend that $300,000 a year salary plus, plus, plus. You can go out and find super, super talented uh, consultants, who don't want a full-time gig, and you can dial them in, it would cost you maybe 100 to 120,000 a year, but you get the same mileage out of them, and they're quite happy, as if you had them in there full-time. And you can always get somebody from a project management perspective who's on the ground in-house, and the sort of you know aggregate uh, output from both of those people will always be greater than a single person. So I'd say on Clinton Reg, I would look for outside partners, uh, most definitely. And on the engineering side, depending on your core competency, that should always be kept in house. Uh, but having said that then early in preservation of cash seed round friends and family round, I would keep it as lean as possible because you're probably going to take twice as long as you think you're going to need to, to get to some meaningful threshold past.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So the engineering piece, you know, I I really don't deal with, uh, so, so both uh, NAMSA and my current, my current job with Covance, you know, we offer regulatory reimbursement, clinical, Mm -hmm. that whole nine yards. we don't really touch the engineering side. Um, but that, that does jive with kind of what I see. Um, you know, I see a lot of, um, engineering engineers already in house at these startup companies. So that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, let's talk about, uh, You know raising money you kind of brought up seed rounds and series a and friends and family um is it that that seems to be a daunting task in the medical med tech industry and I, i don't know how much you know you want to talk about this but but it's always something i i try to ask about because it's there's there's a lot of investors but it seems like there's maybe not it's hard to get to them right and and med tech's a, a tough industry to invest in as from an investor standpoint you know it takes a large it's not you're not going to see returns right away i mean these companies are five years off
1: well it depends on the product right so if we look classically previous to the last two two and a half years let's let's start before the big digital push because things are changing there dramatically and, and okay. money is coming in uneducated money which is good um and med tech money but if you're going after a a pma device you know that that's going to be a heavy load especially in you know in in the times we're in right now in the the pandemic the a round money is not likely to go into a pma you you know a c round probably yes because you got to keep feeding the baby uh otherwise you know uh uh, it's going to pass uh so a round right now i wouldn't want to be in an a round pma uh in the the current climate Um, but funding in general the issue with medical devices is medical devices always get funding on present value in the marketplace. Where when you look at funding on a pharma or biotech, the reason those, those rounds are so astronomical and when they go public are so astronomical is because it's always on future potential. And that's the big funding difference between those two mechanisms although there are a couple companies right now setting that up for future value, and we won't go into this. I'm happy to be on another show to talk about that. It's very complex, but it's great for the industry. But startups right now, here's what's happening, and there's tons of money in startups. It's just that, are you picking the right platform and or product that is gonna be attractive to the market? In my opinion, I do believe, although they'll still be um, world killers, I think Medtronic, J&J, Edwards, Boston Psy are going to take a second seat to one or two big digital giants over the next three to five years, being most likely Amazon and potentially, potentially uh, Apple or IBM, in my opinion. We will always have beachfront property in the device world because we touch the patient. That's never going to go away. And we've got to take advantage of that. But the money and the investment coming in is going to be rewarding the digital component in this and the data off the patient and or the situation because that's scalable there's very little manufacturing involved and that plays to the strength of those organizations so funding is there it just matters what you're looking to fund
0: okay makes sense um before we get into the 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 digital age and Mm -hmm. and 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 that let's um yeah so (sighs) Let's back up to the to the to the finding money again. Yeah. Um, is that something that that you, that your group helps with? Is that someone you yeah. you, you can help connect with? Because I yeah. I get that question a lot, right? It's um, and I've had some VCs and, and some investors on the podcast, so I get the question of, "Hey, can you make a warm introduction?" And that goes a long way, right? Than just submitting to mm-hmm. to to you know to their website or whatever it is. So is that something that that your group helps with?
1: Yep, absolutely. So you know, it's yeah. not our core competency, be but a- yeah we're dealing with at any time, you know, uh, two to three dozen. And I think Giovanni Lorisella, one of the partners in the Mullings group put out, um, a listing of all of the venture capitalists in the med tech industry. And I want to say, uh, he should have sold a subscription to that because the number of startup people oh. who wanted access to that were yeah. not. So reach I out to it. Gio. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you have it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I reached out to him for it because it's, yeah. it's, um, you can get articles and stuff, but nothing is more comprehensive than that document that he has. And, the, and, and he's giving it away for free, which is yeah. incredibly- uh,
1: Well, that's the in, philosophy in that. of our company. Our company is just yeah. to give, give, give until somebody needs something and just be standing in plain sight. I mean, that's yeah. that's the philosophy of TMG.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's, good. that's good to know. Um and and I think I, I got that impression from you, you know, so, uh, like I said, I, I, I met you years ago, this would, that was my introduction into a conference. That was really my first big international conference was, was med tech strategist. And, um, I was just a, you know, I was a, uh, a biocompatibility guy for a while. I was on the technical side, learning regulatory reimbursement clinical. And, and then I got into business development and that was my first push into it. And I got addicted to it. So, you know, I started following you and and, and, and Giovanni. And um, I really got the sense that you're just putting out good content. Um, and and that that really was a pretty big um, thing I wanna do for the podcast, right? This, this podcast is something I wanna do to say, hey, I'm gonna talk to interesting people. I'm going to record the conversations. You guys can listen to them. Um, and you're right. I, you know, it, it's it's actually I've only had this since April, and um, people reach out to me all the time now and say, "Hey, uh, you know, I don't know if you know anyone. Can you connect connect me here?" it's mm-hmm. it's it's nice. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, the industry itself attracts the right people. If you think about what we do, um, and that's why very few leave the industry because what we're doing, meaning any of us in the medtech industry, are saving lives, extending lives uh, and you know, a lot of the people could go somewhere else and make a little more money and they don't. So I just think it intrinsically attracts the right human being. Uh, and we just try and move the ball forward for the entire industry. And we know there's always the, always, always the karmic p- uh, payback, even though you don't go into it looking for it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, okay. Let's talk about, uh, we'll call it uh, telehealth, digital health, whatever. I mean, I guess there's, those are two different sure. things, but you know what I mean? Yep. Um, So let's, you know, you said there's some new money coming in. Um, You know, that's, that's always good to, good to see and good to hear. And, uh, but let's talk about that industry. I mean, it's, it's really got pulled forward from COVID. Um, I think I saw the touchings of how big it was going to be at uh, JP Morgan um, in January. And then all of a sudden in March, it just got pulled through, right? So maybe talk a little bit about how you see that industry going and, just from a you know a large perspective?
1: Yeah, so from a large perspective, look, you know, it's data is data. Um, and when you can pull, when you can start to connect the nodes, historically, the med tech industry and healthcare, let's just call it healthcare, the health tech industry has never been connected. If you think about when you went to the doctor, you went in, the doctor, conducted an analog general, you know, uh, a a GP practice on you, he or she, you know, would look in your ears, look in your nose, check your chest, put a stethoscope on you, write something down, put it in a folder, put it in a file to next time you showed up, connected nothing. And so therefore you didn't have the aggregation of data to offer some sort of predictive outcomes moving downrange. And so now what we've got is we've got devices looking for every single possibility to connect it to something else whether it's as simple as a Foley catheter with something that Potrero does, whether it's a a virtual engagement with what Proximy does in the OR, uh, anytime we can grab this data, connect it, aggregate it, it will allow us to impact the 18% GDP of our country that healthcare currently consumes. You cannot do that in an analog fashion. We're gonna run ourselves off the cliff. And so as soon as you can start to offer information and data that can say, okay, you have a predisposition for this disease because I can tell that from a 23andMe type technology. And now I can connect that and start to get a baseline and offer up a predictive analytics to that patient. And it might be your son or your daughter. And I can head off that monster before it gets too large. And I can intervene with with a much more subtle therapy based upon the connectivity and all the value from the data we gathered from the human race that's really where healthcare needs to go because it's not a sustainable uh, uh, business right now at the way it's eating through the economy. And you know everybody's talking about the way healthcare is running, healthcare right now just creating more access with the same mechanism is actually gonna run it off the cliff even quicker. So I think people see that, people see it with digital, certainly the four horsemen, Amazon, Google, IBM, uh, and uh, 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 Apple know that's where it is. And so you're starting to see passive patient monitoring and connecting those dots. You're starting to see, you know, virtual engagement now reimbursable with the coming of COVID. You don't have to get in front of a doc anymore. That changes access points Mm -hmm. and connect all this now. It's, it's, it's inevitable. This is where we are. And it's been accelerated due to this uh, situation we're in right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so are you familiar with, uh, this isn't an advertisement, but are you familiar with Whoop, Whoop Band? I am not. Okay. So it's this band that I'm wearing here and, and, and it tracks uh, your heart rate variability. Mm -hmm. um, And it's, you know, it's a, it's a fitness tracker. Right. But, but the one thing that, you know, is, is I'm obsessed with about it is I'm, I mean, I'm already addicted to uh, like working out and and your health and that kind of thing, but, but this gives me some actual data, right. And, and it could predict when I'm getting sick before I actually show symptoms. Which is 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 just is is crazy to to think about, but that this you know this technology is something that kind of came out. Um, I think it was really before COVID became popular after COVID, because um, they were saying that hey, we can kind of tell when you're going to get sick before you show symptoms. Sure. Yeah, and that's the kind of data you want. I mean, um, but but to your point though, it's still not connected, and it's still an issue. Uh, if you if I go to I'm in Cleveland, so if I go to the Cleveland Clinic and I go to metro, two different hospital chains. They don't, it's, it's like a pain to get my records from one to the other. That's so, that is so mind boggling to me. Um, And I think that's, you know, to the point you're talking about is, is having those connected. It just seems so easy.
1: Yeah. 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 You know, (laughs) the, the, the problem with uh, uh, EMRs is they weren't meant to have um, your health managed properly. EMRs were made for billing and making money. So that's number one, right? We, we were, we were collecting patient data, not for the betterment of the patient. We were figuring it out for billing cycles. Mm-hmm. And so now when you start to connect outcomes and then you, if you go to, I believe Israel has it, Israel, every, every uh, citizen of Israel has the potential to have their health records right on their mobile phone. And so when they walk into a new caregiver or a new physician or, or, or a new clinic, uh, boom, right there, you download it right there. Yeah. You walk in and they have the entire record. Um, I was chatting with, um, I think it was uh, TriVentures. Uh, Mikhail Geva had mentioned that to me. So, you know, th- the connectivity is coming, coming hard, coming fast. Um, we're more empowered consumer. I, I mean, I'm 58. Uh, my mom and dad, when the doctor said something, you blindly l- listened. People are now taking a very active part in managing their health. You have whoop on you. Yeah. That's not FDA uh, uh, cleared. That's not an approved device, uh, but it does give you a predictive analytics based whatever it, whatever biometrics is catching, well, maybe respiration rate, maybe heart rate, maybe O2, all that it'll it'll take all of that and give you an indicator that hey caution flag take a rest get some vitamin c or go see your doc before you wait too long
0: Mm -hmm. yeah yep so now do you you know you mentioned the 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 behemoths there in the tech industry Do, do you see from a from an innovation standpoint outside of those large ones but maybe from like the, the bottom-up approach um, do you see that coming in in from like the the you know, call it the medical device side? Um, do you see it coming from there? Where do you see the the other innovation coming from? Who's who's going to be, you know, really the leaders outside of those those top ones, you know, but but really
1: from the bottom up. It's going to be the bottom ones. The, you know, yeah. the, the, the physics stay the same while Amazon, Apple, Google, uh, 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 and uh, who am I leaving out? Amazon, Apple, Google. Uh, uh, the, IBM. IBM. The, They aren't any different than the med tech industry. The innovation doesn't exclusively come out of there. What they do is they go ahead and acquire these companies that have these, you know, insane ideas and execute on them. So that innovation is going to find its way through those four horsemen um, because the small players can't get in front of J&J and the small players can't get in front of the strikers and the Amazon. I mean, and the uh, 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 J&J's Boston size Edwards. So these small companies that are working their tails off on these technologies are going to get acquired by those big players. They're going to plug that in because those big players understand at scale how to aggregate and use data. And look, they're all going to be different. Amazon isn't going to make a medical device. Amazon's going to own the early stage, the the, the pharmaceutical side, the health insurance side, because nobody trusts uh, a brand better than Amazon, more, most trusted brand in, in the country, and they're going to stay away from the device side. Uh, Google has always had a challenge with making product and, and actually commercializing a product. So that is going to be a challenge. for them. I see Apple moving into the product side of things more than anything else. And then I see IBM owning a good part, again, with Amazon, not just the cloud, but the sky. That's going to be a utility. Don't even try building your own cloud. That's silly. That's like trying to build your own electrical grid. What you need to do is allow those organizations to build the utility up top that everything will file into. There's a company out there, uh, called bright insight. Check it out. I mean that to me, they're a contract manufacturer in the cloud business for connected device in the health tech field. Fascinating model. They're doing tremendous things.
0: Okay good i'll check that out um let me ask you this too
1: because we're talking about these
0: these big companies Mm -hmm. um and and i'm not saying i fall on one side of the fence or the other i just found it interesting but i talked to a um a guest of mine brandy baldwin she was on a couple episodes ago and she she runs a company called millennial health ventures um where she really focuses on investing in the millennial generation um in, in companies that are that are run by the millennial generation. Okay. Uh, and, and she had made a comment, you know, I had a lot of startup companies there in the med tech industry, at least their exit plan, generally speaking, you see a lot are to get sold by a strategic. You know, I think if you asked a lot of their questions, it's I want to get acquired by a strategic. She had made the point that said, you know, she sometimes wants to focus on companies who want to commercialize, and that's not their goal. Um, and And her point was that, In order for the younger generations to hold more say, they have to stop selling out. You have a you have an opinion on that at all, or I know I just kind of popped this one on you. No, that's cool. I like it a lot.
1: Look, any business that you build better be able to turn off cash, or else it's going to go out of business. You know, people celebrate um, rounds of financing as if it was revenue. I mean, if you realize it, you just gave away a portion and usually a controlling portion of your company for yeah. the financing, right? Right. So that, that's one philosophy. But in med tech, med tech doesn't set up at least until date, which is changing now with digital. It has it, it sets up because it's either a IDE, a 510, or a PMA. Nothing else matters until you get that because you can't sell a device. You can't sell a service unless you have clearance or approval. Then you've got the massive lift. After you do that, clinical or not, um, even if it's a simple 510, then you've got the commercial lift. You've got the commercial lift. And if you're selling a 510K device, you're selling against predicate devices, which are usually already owned by the big players that, you know, they're the bully on the playground, justifiably so, and have earned their way there. So while romantically I love the idea of not selling out, um, I think until recently, The ability to have a product platform in the med tech health tech industry um, without having some sort of exit in mind uh, would be uh, 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 usually the exception. It's just the way it is. But I think that's changing right now because health tech is becoming more broad. More and more, just like your Whoop device, people are going to be self-empowered and not wait for an FDA regulated device to manage their own health.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. You know, I, because when she had said that, I, I, I had agreed. I said, yeah. I mean, in principle, that sounds fantastic. It's just winning even a regional market share of a 510K device is incredibly difficult.
1: I yeah. Mean, and somebody's going to swoop in and give you money anyway if you get penetration. And right. If you, and if, if you think, you know, you're, you're going to hang in there, it'll be just a matter of time before somebody comes comes in and crush you. look, there is nothing wrong with getting a company bought, making mm-hmm. your money. This is the cycle of it. Big companies are great at distribution, supply chain, manufacturing, rubbing the pennies out of the nickels. Startups are fantastic at ideation, uh, mission-driven and uh, 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 technology. One sells to the other, they keep each other alive, the, again, I've been at this 30 years, the startup, once you go startup, you never go back unless you have no choice. And those startup people continuing to come back into the community and start up another company and start up another company. There's nothing wrong. there, both required. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, great. Yeah. That's that, you know, that's the other thing I see too. Uh, and, and I don't know if you see the same thing, but, uh, I, I was first introduced to it. I interviewed Anthony Caparso. He's with a company called Inhale Medical up here in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, he was talking, I was asking him, hey, w- what's your strategy for when you raise money? And he had mentioned that, well, he's like, this is my third startup company. So I go to the same group of people I always go to. Um, do you see that trend as well where yeah. certain investors say, yeah, I want... Bet on yeah. the jockey. Okay.
1: Right? Yep. Always. Bet yeah. on the
0: jockey. Yeah,
1: that's, uh, it's funny you say that. So
0: I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, Tim Blair, um, Sure, Tim is yeah. a
1: friend. I, I know Tim very well.
0: Yeah. So, so Tim gave me a quote and I, I turned it into a little video when I interviewed him and it was, uh, he said, I'll take a beak, a B horse with an A jockey every day of the week. Okay. And, uh, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. All yep. day long. All day yeah. long. Yep. Okay, good. So, hey, let me, uh, I want to spend a couple minutes, you know, talking afterwards here. So let me, let me wrap this up here. You have any other burning topics you want to discuss?
1: Jeez, burning topics. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, so I do. I have one, you know, we, okay. we touched on it earlier. Yep. Historically, um, people who were in the contracting consulting world were viewed as a fancy word for unemployed. And there's a lot of people right now who have been furloughed, a lot of people who have been underemployed and a lot of people who are just now unemployed. Look at that contract interim consultant market seriously. Uh, McKinsey just came out with a study, uh, uh, uh actually a survey out of 70 CEOs that said a reasonable size percentage of their workforce they're going to bring back on board in a contract interim role so don't be shy don't be proud don't let ego or pride dictate your strategy a lot of you right now are either unemployed or furloughed go ahead and get on that interim pathway it's a really healthy pathway and it's a way to for you to try before you drive on both sides. And uh, I want to liberate everybody to give yourself that freedom to take that and just get back on the field. It's so important right now with all the people hurting as well. Mm
0: -hmm. Good advice. Joe, I think it's a good way to end it. So hang on for a second. Uh, I'm going to stop the recording here. But uh, look, I appreciate your time today. I know it's uh, the time is uh, you don't have an abundance of it. You're a busy man. So I appreciate you giving me 30 minutes.
1: You got it, man. My pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you have any questions or comments for myself or Joe, there's a link to our LinkedIn pages in the show notes or email the podcast and I'll make sure to get you in touch with Joe. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review and feel free to visit the webpage www.projectmedtech.com or send us an email at projectmedtechpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks and have a great day.